Hello from Burbank, California. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us. Once again, another episode. Write that down on the Fight Game Media Network. Happy holidays, everyone. I hope everyone's enjoying, relaxing, recovering. I'm Justin Nipper. I edit for FightGameMedia.com. Staff writer at F4WOnlineWrestlingObserver.com. I also work for Pro Wrestling Noah and Cyberfight. And this week, uh, we don't have a typical episode for you. We have an archived special edition episode for you from the Fight Game Media Patreon. Uh, last year, around September, Fumi and I did an episode focused on the three musketeers of New Japan. That would be who? That would be Shinyashimoto, Masahiro Chono, and Keiji Muto, who is retiring 55 days from the day I record this. How exciting, how topical, excellent. If you haven't heard it before, please enjoy. And if you like more of this archive footage, you can access it via the Fight Game Media Patreon on Patreon. You know what I mean? Okay. By the way, if you have not already, please subscribe to the Fight Game Media Network podcast feed. Wherever you listen to your podcast, Apple, Spotify, Downcast, it helps us very much, so please do so if you haven't already. And before we start this Three Musketeers episode, I just want to say thanks to everybody. Let's have a great new year, 2023. But uh, uh, we can talk about, um, we were going to talk about Three Musketeers today. Yeah. Which was 90s superstar into millennium. Three Musketeers, Keiji Muto, Masahiro Chono, and Shinya Hashimoto. That's right. Yeah, some of these, you know, today's fans are not so familiar with this. If there was no uh, Three Musketeers era, you wouldn't have 20th, 21st century New Japan or 21st Noah or 21st century old Japan. You know what I'm saying? It, these guys are really important. Yeah, yeah, it took, you know, the 1980s, they could say they belonged to Antonio Inoki, but Inoki wasn't around as much throughout the 90s. The 90s were, were these three for yeah, New in Japan. 19, as of 1990, he became politician and gave his booking job to Riki Choshu. Mm-hmm. And Riki Choshu and Fujinami were still active but they weren't going to headline New Japan. So they developed Three Musketeers. Musketeers, you know, it's like, yeah, still Inoki's people, but generation younger than Choshu and Fujinami. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. All three of them, Muto, uh, Hashimoto, Chono, they all debuted the same year. Class of 1984. Same dojo, you know, that system. And they had an audition the same day, and they had the same amount of time at the dojo. And in fact, uh, Muto's debut match was against Chono, another rookie, you know. Mm-hmm. And a uh, week before that, Hashimoto debuted against Tatsutoshi Goto, but the same class. And uh, what's important is though that when they debuted in, in in September of 1984, New Japan was pretty much scouting 
Okay. It was right after Akira Maeda, Nobuhiko Takada, the, the original Tiger Mask Sayama, the uh, Yoshi, Yoshiaki Fujiwara, the, all these original UWF, like 10, 12 guys left New Japan, right? Then Riki Choshu's guys, like Yoshiaki Yatsu, the animal, Hamaguchi, the Kuniaki Kobayashi, the Killer Khan, the, all those guys, 15 guys, all left New Japan. So two groups already left. And all they got was Inoki and Sakaguchi and Fujinami, Kengo Kimura. That's about it. And uh, you would think, you know, they're in, uh, like in jeopardy, right? You would think so. They have no big stars or, or not. But but it's not as fresh as what's going on. Yeah, it's slightly aged Inoki and Fujinami. Choshu's guys left. Maeda's guys left. But actually, they were bummed out that the... Keiji Muto, Masachono, Hashimoto sitting in 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 the in, in the dojo at night. They were saying, "Actually, it's great. We'll be on TV next week." <laughs> <laughs> that was that kind of rookie, you know. In Japanese dojo system, they'll be like uh, so polite and the senpais and you know elderly and uh, so you'll be washing your you know seniors' clothing or you'll be washing dishes and sweeping up the dojo and all those. They did that too. But they were like a so new breed. That's it. You know what? This is great. We're gonna be on TV right away. <laughs> and uh, that's how Muto looked at the business from the beginning. Yeah, and very interesting. Early on, he was the first one to. He went overseas Sense. pretty early. Yeah, one year after he got, one year after debut, he was already sent to Florida, and uh, spent a year in Florida. And we'll come back with new costume and then, you know, new nickname and uh, the longer hair and all these things and new finish, all this. Yeah, he was sent, yeah, to Florida. Then trained again under Hiro Matsuda. And actually, he trained with people like Lex Luger, you know. And uh, yeah, yeah, right. He, the, the, he came back as a space lone wolf. Keiji Muto mm-hmm. with this blue costume and silver jacket and full face helmet and all these things. Yeah. And right away, uh, Chono was sent to Mexico, uh, to Europe. Then after that, uh, Hashimoto was sent to Calgary. Yeah. They all developed, you know, to uh, like uh, when you come back a year later, you've been the main, main event cluster. They're all ready to do so. But they're talented, you know, all big, big, uh, like a real big size rookie. And who was uh, other in the classmate was a Masaka, young 15-year-old Masakatsu Funaki. Later on, he debuted with New Japan, then goes to second version of UWF, then comes back, and he, uh, after that, he goes to Fujiwara Gumi. Then he creates Pancras with his friend Minoru Suzuki. Okay. Mm-hmm. And another, uh, another classmate was uh, uh, Akira Nogami. A little bit later on, he, he becomes freelancer too. Mm-hmm. And so the five guys. Muto, Chono, Hashimoto, Young Funaki, and Akira Nogami. Yeah, five of them. And a lot of people think Liger was in the same class, but actually Liger and Sano and Hata was a year before. You know, Liger, okay. uh, yeah, that uh, Keiichi Yamada, you know. Mm-hmm. He debuted 83 instead of 84. It's been mixed. Now, is it true that Funaki was originally supposed to be Jushin Liger, the character, before... I don't think so. Because that's always been so. the uh, the the buzz or the rumor is that 
It was Funaki yeah, who was bike. chosen, but he left with the UWF crew. So then it went to. Uh, I kind of don't think so because Liga, the size, you know, that I, it, it, I don't know where he came from, but uh, I don't think there was that Funaki was candidate for that, you know. Well, he led a. Yeah. He went on his own path. He led a very different path from the the three musketeers. Yeah, more MMA. Yeah, mm-hmm. kind he of was paving the original, road. Yeah, yeah. Funaki was the original Tiger Ma- Sayama's big fan growing up. Of course, it, when he was ninth grade, he was able to do every single Sayama's move at home. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Well, some kids try to emulate you know wrestling moves on your matless, right? Mm-hmm. Or on on your bed, of course, or, or on your futons, you know. Mm-hmm. And then Funaki was able to do every single Sayama's move at home when he was eighth grade, ninth grade. But a lot of kids did that, including people like Ultimo Dragon, you know. But uh, uh, Yamada, the Liga, uh, Keiichi Yamada was the only candidate, I believe. Yeah, he was pretty much a star without mask. He was, he wasn't was, uh, he? Yeah, he was. Uh, it, he was already, uh, yeah, already, uh, you know, becoming a star. And he was, he was, yeah, he was sent to to uh, England? Europe, England yeah. as a flying Fujiyamada. Then went to Calgary and spent another six, seven months there. And he came back as Keiichi Yamada, and he was working without mask too. You know, he red, looked like the know. Japanese dynamite kid. He really did. At oh time. yeah, guy, yes. The Japanese red version, trunks, red tights, yeah, and huge, uh, huge upper body, huge upper body, kind of short, but uh, yeah, huge upper body and good wrestler and intense, right? Real mm-hmm. intense, yeah, very likable but, too, very charismatic. Oh, total, total baby face, total baby face. At the time, young Funaki, not the Masakazu yet, it was a Masaharu Funaki, the real name. Mm. Masaharu Funaki and Keiichi Yamada had a like a you know opening tag team kind of combination for a while yeah it works as a tag team a little bit mm, they both had pretty interesting but also very different career different paths, paths. Yeah. yeah oh yeah and it was not really yamada's choice to become jushin thunder liger it was conjunction with you know that the animation series jushin liger's season premiere season first and the real wrestler somebody is gonna be liger you know at the tokyo dome and uh, TV aside, his you know animation series Jushin Liger and the wrestlers Jushin Liger will debut together, animation and wrestling. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It was 1989, and actually the animation version of Jushin Liger only lasted one season, all of 26 episodes. So <laughs> wrestler Liger outlived animated in you know, animation version of Jushin Liger by what? 30 years, mm, a yeah. couple decades. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He was, so I think at the end, wrestler Jushin Thunder Liger was a lot more famous than this animation ever was. Yeah. Mm. But it was, the, the initially, it was like kind of like a Tiger Mask idea. Very famous, popular animation series. They, you know, t- t- TV Asahi wanted to have real wrestler doing that too at the same time. And Keiichi Yamada at the time was the perfect candidate. Yeah, it's rare that works. It's usually it usually doesn't often. Animation's work. better, or or, or <laughs> just uh, if uh, you know you go see a company and they're trying to. Uh, there's a AAA is doing the Marvel character kind of thing right now. Or yeah. I, I saw well, the Tiger Mask 
Tiger Mask and Jushin Liger is the only ones that work. There was actually a couple more failed attempts that I forgot all about and escaping me. Yeah. I, I do remember seeing Kota Ibushi as one of the newer Tiger Masks. That that was really brief. It was though. a one-time deal, though. One-time oh, okay. deal. Okay. Yeah, yeah one-shot deal. Yeah. Just for the but debut. But they've done uh, different Tiger Masks. Sayama's Tiger Mask, to Misawa's Tiger Mask, to you know, Kanemoto's Tiger Mask, to now the, the fourth Tiger Mask guy is still here, you know? Mm. And, uh, yeah. Um, and then there's other failed attempt of you know like a comic book character becoming wrestler and there's quite a few that didn't quite make it mm. so we should only remember tiger mask and jushin liger mm-hmm. and then the, the, the reason they put thunder in the middle is that uh new japan and yamada owns this you know jushin thunder liger see the original animated animation series simply jushin liger that belongs to uh, uh go on a guy the original the, the animation creator so there's actually the design and other things is slightly different but you're not supposed to notice these things yeah it's Did you like, know that? it's is it kind of like when the somebody is in wwe and they have the one name but when they leave because wwe owns a certain this this spelling <laughs> yeah, of the we, name yeah, or today, yeah then today we talk about daniel bryan and brian danielson right? exactly yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, son, so so um, New Japan had their own uh, version of the Jushin name that belonged Liga, to them. Yeah. It yeah, was theirs, yeah. and they could yeah. profit from that in their way. Of and course, it's, and it's of good course. because you know Liger stuck around. I'm a lot longer than the animation, much animation series. Yeah. yeah, much longer, and more famous too mm. because who was inside that mask? Yeah, so talented. Yamada, very, very, very exceptionally talented wrestler. We'll have to come and back also, and focus on him one day. We'll just do his uh, episode. Yeah, That's but, just uh, these these. Can you imagine Thunder Liger that uh, that the Takuma Sano or very young Rara High School uh, Asai later on becomes Ultimate Dragon, Muto Chono Hashimoto, a little bit later on Minoru Suzuki and Masakatsu Funaki. They all living under the same roof in the dojo system. A lot of imagine? Uh, ex- uh, very <laughs> distinct personalities. Yeah, but there's a half do- other half dozen guys who didn't make it, though. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Living in the same room. I mean, not the room, but the same house. So we're talking about those very, very talented people come out of the New Japan Dojo around the same time period. But there was a half dozen guys who walked out. They couldn't make it through the uh, dojo system? Or, or that the train training was so hard that they let when they walk up they were gone sometimes uh, you know what i'm saying yeah they escape in the Give middle up. of the night yeah yeah uh, but you're not supposed to remember those people hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah or some of these people actually later on popped up in another independent scene you know a little bit later on they didn't give up and then uh, they became their own person in their own right so i can respect that you know yeah. sure yeah but, but that that was the big you know that the new japan dojo class yeah and muto hashimoto chono and funaki were in and, and, and the nogami were the classmates yeah they shaved their hair in the very first week and you're supposed to look all the same 
you're not supposed to be able to distinguish all these, you know, rookies. And they, they just go into training. They train you. Like know? a military style boot camp. I guess, yeah. And then um, the first year, you'll be wearing just black trunks and black boots. You know, you don't want to look different, but you're not allowed to do so. Yeah. Same as today. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Oh, even last week's Korakuen, you know, this first match, guys. Oh, uh, yeah. Great match. New guys. The two really, yeah, really uh, young. It was like they had a couple like matches a at match. Korakuen. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. a second, third match. Aren't they good, though? They're exceptionally good for if, if that's their first match. I mean, they, I mean, even they, their well, look, you can exactly tell. how they work out at the dojo, too. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I just thought that match, the first match, the opening match, 10-minute match. Mm -hmm. It's just greatest thing I've watched in a while, you know? Oh, God. These did you, young did you lions are good. I, um, I really, really like all the young lions. Yeah, matches. I like that. Their matches are so good right now. It must be. I, I always ask. I'm, I'm like, is it the Shibata's training style? Is it the training style that's doing this? Is it the, but the they're guys? they're talented guys, too. Sure. But there's a lot. I mean, the, the new crop, they, especially the Fredericks and Clark Connors and Alex Coglin, that the Shibata's three from the States, they're really, yeah. really talented. Really talented. No, oh, Shibata does not give an give an inch. Oh, cause that's what he what was done to him, and that's what made him. And uh, he he's gonna do the same to you, you know. No, yeah, but it seems so far like it's a success. I think. I mean, he's these. Oh yeah, these. I mean, including rookie Americans. Oh, they're so talented. Mm. So talented and young. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah. Well, watch out for injuries. You know. Of course, yeah. And also, some of these New Japan rookie has a tendency that your first two years so good, and all of a sudden you kind of lose it. You know what I'm saying? Is that true? Not losing it, but like either not as motivated, or it's like a disappoint, or like a disappointment in them, or it just doesn't have much fire, as much fire as your rookie years. You know, disillusion, not their expectations. Somewhat, or yeah, because you have to be expecting what you will be doing five, five years from now or 10 years from now. That's wrestling. You know, it's not like going to school and you'll be graduating in three years. Right. This is going to be your career. You know, mm. you'll be doing it when you are 25. You'll be doing it when you're 30. You should be doing it when you're 35. Maybe you are still doing it when you're 40. It's so like you would, it's yeah. like anybody like like, like a, a chef goes to culinary school, an electrician, you know, has, you, or, this is what you do. Or like you're a guitar player. Sure, you, you go when to you a special 20, Yeah, when you're 25, you're actually really, really good, right? Are you going to be as motivated as you were when you were 35? It depends on the person, right? Sure, but generally, it's not, you know, I don't know. But, but I know I know what you mean. And, and the point is, is uh, I think uh, depending on the per it really at the end of the day, it's up to the person and yeah, whomever they choose. And it seems like. All right. Yeah, we're, yeah. Today we're talking about Three Musketeers, Muto, Chono, Hashimoto. But you know, oh, we'll fast forward a little bit. You know, somebody like, uh, you know, Satoshi Kojima, oh. you know, mm -hmm. he mm -hmm. was not all that special when he was a young lion. You know what I'm saying? Right. At the dojo. I mean, they didn't think he was going to be as big a star as he turned out to be.
And he was never booked in a position like we could expect him. He was always booked in lower level singles or tag matches. and Or, or he did not have this, you know, uh, that the amateur athletic background. Like all these guys are like a high school amateur wrestling national champion or that uh, holding record in the truck running or uh, you're the, the, the prefecture judo champion or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Kojima... Well, well, he's played all the sport in high school. Of course, everybody does, you know, these people. But he did not have anything special in it. But somewhat, somehow, after 10 years, he was in higher ranked superstar than the other people who were better prospects at the time. You know what I'm saying? Mm. It happens. And people like, you know, um, uh, Shinjiro Otani, he was really, really good the first year. Then he had slumped for a few years, you know. Then he became somebody. Then he left New Japan with Hashimoto to become the man at for zero one. You know, this is like d- different wrestlers have different path to have success. You know, and uh, yeah, because you never know. So some of these young lions, are, I mean, most of these young lions are equally talented, huh? It seems but, so. Yeah. Yeah, but you never know how they're gonna turn out to be. You know. For instance, Jay White was not all that special when he was at in, in Dojo. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And probably, you know, that uh, like uh, Dave Finley. He, if you compare Dave Finley and Jay White, they're, they're best friends. All right. But uh, at Dojo, people thought Dave Finley was much better. You know? It, it, I think I remember, because they were in the same class, I believe. And that, yeah, same class. Yeah, I, rem- yeah. I was in Japan around that time, and I might have, I don't know right, if I right, seen them at a right. show, but they were always around the ring, and it, it seemed like everybody would be talking about Finley because of his father. You know, I, we, did, yeah. we didn't know Jay yeah, White Yeah, right, yet. right, right, that too. But he was a good wrestler, and mm-hmm. he had already had some, certain presence, and whereas Jay White looked like just a guy, I mean, cute little guy. You know, he looked very young. If you look at pictures yeah. now, even now, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty really, amazing. Yeah, yeah. that's but, why um, he had to grow his whisker, I guess. You know, but uh, yeah, so he, he didn't look like he was going to be that special because so you don't know, you will never know how this person will turn into, you know, the fans usually make that decision. Yeah, but it's uh, how, you know, it's a package thing, you know, he himself and also that he's booked a certain way or he's developed a certain way and he, the, all the video venue and all these things that the blade, you know, switchblade coming, switchblade coming. They did not show him. And so people anticipated who is going to be the switchblade guy. And then, then he shows up with longer hair and a new costume, new presence, new look, and new attitude. He worked, start working like main event guy. Then you will pretty soon be really main event guy. You know, and it's like a really, really, uh, that works with some people that doesn't work with some, some people, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. 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 But, uh, it was the same system in late eighties that, uh, after they came back from for you know, international tours, Muto, Keiji Muto became star version of Keiji Muto. Masachono became star version of Masachono. Then Hashimoto, more of a fighter style guy in the kicks, you know, a little bit you know, heavy, but uh, he was equally popular because he's a, Muto and Masa Chono is more cool guy, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, Shinya Hashimoto is the one who shows most emotion, 
you know, in the ring. He can kick, he'll cry, he'll smile. He really, he shows his emotion in the ring. He also, to, to me as a viewer, I, I feel like Muto and Chono, they fit in with any other great pro wrestlers from the States or in England or in Canada. The style, yeah, yeah. But, but with Hashimoto, style. he had in Japan, especially... Very domestic, huh? Domestic, like a Japanese Budo feeling or style or, or things that things that you appreciate about martial arts necessarily that he could he right. brought it to pro wrestling context and evident, evidently Shinya Hashimoto did not really click much with international talent right that's right because I don't think they knew how to market it to this audience it has to be kind of not explained yeah, but set the up yeah, Masachono and Muto had another program with Americans Vader, Bigelow, the Tony Holm, the Scott Norton, or people like Brian Pillman, uh, Steve Austin, before he was Steve Austin, Steve Austin. Um, there's a lot of Sting that. And, oh, yeah, yes. So they spoke the same well. language, I guess you could say. And yeah. Shinya Hashimoto had, right. uh, he was doing something. Shinya Hashimoto against Cho, Choshu, Shinya Hashimoto against Kensuke Sasaki. Shinya Hashimoto against Chono and, and Muto, of course. Yeah, Shinya Hashimoto against Fujinami. All those things would work. So some of these, you know, you have J-pop, right? Mm -hmm. so some of these people listen only listen to Japanese rock or right. Japanese enka, enka mm -hmm. probably. Enka, yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah, very much enka. Don't you think uh, Hashimoto was? I think so, and I think, but he all. We should note that he. So while this was going on, while he was coming up, there was the UWF and kind of proto-MMA yeah, boom. Yeah. But I don't think Hashimoto was exactly like that group. He had his own. He did something that was a, a little bit. It, it pulled from both areas, from pro wrestling yeah, and uh, then, then martial arts. Like the New, New Japan fans believed in Hashimoto. If Hashimoto was sent to UWF, he'll beat Maeda and Takara. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so he had this certain aura about him, and that yeah. kind of that kind of ended with the whole no, yeah, Ogawa thing, which is that's what happened. Like, uh, year two thousand, in the late ninety eight to two thousand, that whole that yeah, after right, that that right. was kind of well, his well, we, we, we got to kind of back up and talk about Hashimoto a little more before we get to that point because that was yeah, that was different. That was a different. Time. Yeah, yeah, right, but. Hashimoto went to Memphis, uh, now, too, yeah, didn't he? Yeah. To add to that, oh, yeah, yeah, Ogawa, the national judo champion, the Olympic gold medal judo champion turning into pro wrestler, was more like an alien, you know what I mean? Mm. Coming, coming from other space, you know. And Inoki took him under his wing, you know, to make him into a kind of MMA-ish, pro wrestling-ish, money-making superstar. Then, then they used Hashimoto, like, destroy Hashimoto, you be that Ogawa would be the overnight sensation, which worked, you know? So uh, he was I sacrificed Hashi for that. Yeah, Hashimoto was a victim of circumstance, I think, yeah, in a lot of ways. Yeah, he was the first of those sacrifices from New Japan to the MMA world. You know, we saw it with yeah, that. Pretty and then much, pretty much. Yeah. It happened with, later on with other, with other non-Three Musketeers guys, but... Mm. But Hash yeah, Muto wouldn't do it. You know, he's too smart. You know, Masachono wouldn't go into MMA ring and uh, win or lose. I just think it's better not to do it. You know what I mean? Uh, Chono would end up focusing more on his personality and his character. And uh, yeah, and then the first 10 years, babyface and the rest of the career, black costume, mm -hmm. 
Yeah, Black Charisma, you know, Japanese, you know, cool guy heel mm -hmm. type of deal. Yeah. Totally, though, from white to black. Yeah, and white, he's, white a, he's a kakoi and, guy, right? Mm -hmm. but, but before, he was kind of the, the ace pupil. He was the Luthez trained, like a top guy. STN and uh, the, the, his Finnish STF step over Toho was crossface was given to him by Luthez, you know, the whole video vignette, everything was, you know, produced. And he's winning summer, every summer G1 Climax winner, right? Mm -hmm. And also second annual G1 Climax was also NWA World Heavyweight Championship Tournament. At the final, Chono beats Ravishing Rick Grew to get the Ric Flair belt. Becomes very believable superstar. You know what I'm saying? And for a couple years, that was the last image of that title was Chono wearing it before it came back. When, you know, whenever as a the gold belt, you mean? Yeah, it seems like. When... Yeah, it was really deceiving at the time that uh, the, the not much was reported in both languages that uh, WCW WCW was calling that you know top title either WCW World Heavyweight Title or NWA World Heavyweight Title for a while and separate ways, right? Then and, and, and all of a sudden it's only WCW World Heavyweight Title. But the very same design, Ric Flair gold belt came to Japan and became NWA World Heavyweight Title. Or well, later on that was brought back and uh, dropped uh, to somebody like Barry Windham. But uh, yeah, it was a really confusing time too because New Japan and WCW had this partnership. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was confusing on English TV too. I I think that's right, right. part of the reason why it didn't get any farther than it did. It was a lot bigger of a deal and in also, Japan. If Chono brought that belt back to America and then spent a year or two or three years there, then he'll be in WWE pack in a package, the WCW package. But it was just always short tour, you know? Yeah. If this NWO thing a little bit later on, it was like NWO Japan and what's happening in Nitro was two different NWO, right? But if he traveled more and spent more time in American television, maybe he the NWO storyline was a little bit different. Hmm. Yeah. I bet, yeah. But I think that's where a lot of people really started, at least in the States, started to connect with Chono, especially, you know, after Starcade 95, especially. It was the guy, the uh, sunglasses, the long coat. It was a very mm -hmm. distinct look for the time. Very ah, memorable. Okay. Okay. And he, it, and then he comes right out of Japanese animation, right? Something Almost. or a movie. Yeah. 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 Or like a, yeah. the future. He looked like a, what was it? Like a Blade Runner or something. Blade Runner or Matrix or. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Something yeah. like that. Exactly. And he, and later right. he would show up on Nitro and he would get his own right. short, but special segment. Scott Norton would too, but it, would, it was presented differently because Norton was from the States and he, right, right. but, but Jonah and was, also a, he had full time, full time, you know, deal with Japan too. So that's right. And they never talked about it on the air. So nobody really understood. No, no. So it's confusing, very confusing. But when Jonah would, would be on the screen, you know, it would always, he would always be the focus. So if, you felt that the Jonah was somebody special. Very much so. Very oh, much. I, I remember right. there was, there was, I forget which uh, event it was, but they had a lot of the uh, new Japan stars uh, in the crowd at a table with Eric Bischoff and Sonny Ono, and they were all eating sushi. It was a pay-per-view. Cliché. Cliché. Yeah, yeah. They were all, it was, uh, maybe Hashimoto was there too, Masa Saito, and it was like one of the, they were preparing for a Starcade. I can't, if anybody out there is listening and can remember uh, which pay-per-view that was, 
I don't think yeah. it was a nitro or anything, but um, yeah, that's what they did. But the images of Chono, especially for me personally, I you always remember him. Even I don't know if he got on the mic or anything, but just the look the, and and the way he wrestled, the way he yeah. uh, the way he would pose, he would he would push shove push and shove people and then flex his muscles. You don't see that. It was just he had his own style. Yeah, it was, it was right. distinct. And also, see when you watch Keiji Muto, it's obviously like a superb athlete, right? Like out of out of this world athlete, like he is so coordinated, like he is like huge. Just Keiji Muto is a genuine athlete, right? Whereas Chono actually is the only Japanese wrestler at the time who does the storytelling wrestling match. Did you know that? Yeah, it makes sense. It seems like that. He's not somebody you look at and you were expecting. See, yeah, Muto is like a genuine athlete. He does moonsault and all these things, you know. And then a good, of course, storytelling match too. And Hashimoto strike strikers. Punch, kick, kick, and chops. And kick. What's so special about Chono was that he were, you know, a lot of the 80s and 90s Japanese wrestling was like very much high spot oriented, huh? Remember? Hmm. I mean, like a high spot oriented, like a big moves, big moves, false finish, false finish, one, two, one, two, and then just high spot, one high spot after another. But the Chono was the only wrestler around that time period who brought that back to very basic working body part match. Almost like a traditional All Japan style, yeah, you could say. Yeah, uh, yeah or... Or NWA in 1970s. When he got it was Kansas City. Did you know that? From, he works in uh, yeah, Central State, you know, Bob Geigo and Bob Brown. This old dude, Bulldog Bob Brown, doesn't do anything much in the ring. But when, when you when you watch Bulldog Bob Brown match, it looked like a lot of things happened in 20-minute match. He didn't do much at all. And Chono sat and think, it's like, you don't need 10 big moves to have storytelling 25-minute match. It's how you lay things out. And uh, he was the only one doing this very veteran 70s American style he learned from Kansas City, and he brought that back to Japan. Did you know he is the only wrestler in history that first move and finish are the, two, you know, the same move? You know what I'm saying? His finish is Kenka kick, Yakuza kick, right? And he often... He, yeah, he, yeah, yeah, leave the SDF out for, for a second. Yeah, I'll get to that. But you know, the Kenka kick, the Yakuza kick, mm-hmm. the big boot to the face. That's the move he, first thing he does when he gets in the ring, boom. And when he goes, you know, take it home for the finish, he used that move. Nobody in wrestling history used same finish at the beginning and in the finish. So I guess it's not a finish if it's at the beginning. It's just, uh, it's his. Yeah, but that that uh, he is the only wrestler used a big boot at the beginning, very beginning, the first thing he does in the ring, and the last thing he does in the ring. It, it really made not you. Too many, yeah, not, not too many people noticed that. Yeah, it forced you to pay attention to, to what he was doing. If yeah, you, I guess, yeah. yeah if he didn't, you might miss the whole story. Like you said, you don't use that move first if it was your finish. See, the Yakuza Kenka kick is to go home, right? 
Should be, yeah, yeah. So you wouldn't be using that at the beginning of the match. But he went ahead and used that at the very first move to do and very last thing to do. That's his original. Okay, go back and watch old Chono's match. That uh, he's the only one in the whole world who does that. I mean, maybe a lot of people haven't noticed this thing yet, really, for the past 20 years. That's his signature, huh? Yeah, that the first thing he does is the Yakuza kick, and last thing he does the Yakuza kick. Well, yeah, that the STF, that, uh, like, John Cena's FU move. Mm, STFU, yeah. Yeah, STFU, yeah. Uh, but that's a ruthless move. But submission day, yeah, he wins. You know, he wins the match with that. But when he uses STF as a finish, the entire match is leading into the STF. You, you know, you work on the guy's leg, guys in the back of the knees, back, the, you know, you know, the, the lower back or back of the knee, or you know, what do you call it? That the chop blocking or mm-hmm. other things to do uh, working on the body part. Like They're Bret Hart would do that. Yeah, then keep working on the body parts. Therefore, when you finally go into your SDF, people will really pay attention. Ah, ah, that's what he was doing the entire match, then going to the finish. A very believable finish. He had a clear strategy. He would show his strategy. Uh, That's how, then uh, no fancy moves. Mm. He only does just a few things in the ring. But by doing very little, he really does a lot. Mm. Today's wrestler, maybe uh, somebody like Edge, maybe, is the only one that does that. Yeah, because uh, even WWE today, it's pretty much big move oriented, you know? Yes. The younger, the more moves, you know? And uh, when you go back, like a very recent um, SummerSlam, Edge against Seth Rollins, that's the type of match. They only exchange maybe four moves, you know, with each other. Other than that, elbow to the back of the head, you know, because you know, Edge has bad neck. Everybody knows it. So you, you pull down elbow, the punch, back of your head, and kick, stomp, all these things, but not much moves. And the only thing they did was uh, a spear and catch spear into pedigree, um, and the, the your what do you call it? That the not the Nagata rock, but the okay, yes, lock. Kind oh, of thing. yeah, the, uh, the, the cross face, yeah, cross face move. But the, you let, let them go in there, or you block it, you know, just by doing this Nagata lock or yes, lock thing, it just you got you can spend 10 minutes doing it, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And at the end, you pound your, you know, edge pounding Seth Rollins' face onto the canvas, then give real, you know, serious looking face lock, uh, sleeper hold thing to go home, right? Mm. Not many moves, but very much storytelling, huh? There, there was, a, it's hard to, it wasn't a piece by piece. It wasn't just a, a series of, moves happening everything kind yeah, of connected to yeah, itself connected think to each about other like uh to the extreme i mean i'm gonna use this extreme example in dragon gates match you'd be doing 40 moves by then mm. you know what i'm saying it's a different it's a different pace and it's a i guess it's a different um yeah a totally different cooking totally yeah different it's a different food. dish yeah. yeah oh different dish yeah so that i i, I use that as extreme 
So some of these, you know, matches you, they're doing 30 different high flying, high spot moves. You know, they are kicking out at the counter too. Then for a wrestling fan like myself, like a real old style, old fashioned older guy, I completely forget what I was watching, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, because yeah, they're going to kick out the spectacular move, you know, save it for next week or something, but they just keep kicking out, right? Kick out, kick out, kick out, kick out. Kind of like you go into a big hotel, restaurant, buffet or something. You take up so much food that you don't remember what you just had. Mm. You build you know up saying? a tolerance or something. It's Yeah, when you have just a piece of some good ribeye steak and potatoes and a little bit of, you know, just that. And it was a good meal. Yeah, if the ingredients that's, are right. Yeah, that's what Chono's move was like wrestling was. And it made him very special. See, not much fancy moves like Muto can do, but uh, he wouldn't. Chono just does these very old-fashioned wrestling. Therefore, maybe that the uh, fans with less, less experience or, or like a not but not so educated eyes on wrestling may appear kind of boring, huh? Mm. But for real, like, like uh, I wouldn't say educated, but the real wrestling fans paying attention to move, you know, match, you know, move by move, the entire match that Chono does tell stories within this rest, you know, this one match. Yeah. Yeah. That, it's what he, he offered that. And he's, if you had to pick, uh, a match that really exemplifies that storytelling that Chono does in, in, in that way. If you could oh, think of anything uh, that comes to mind off the top of your head. Though, uh, every single Hashimoto Chono match was like that. Because in casual fans' eyes, Hashimoto would kick his ass. Because, of the, because his character yeah, is the martial artist. And kicking yeah. and chopping and all these hard-hitting, striking thing, you know? Well, he'll kick Chono's ass, but he will somehow block it and kick back the Chono's knee or something and then change the sequence and does this very old-fashioned things on the mat, and all of a sudden, it looks like Chono's match. Naturally, organically. Yeah, that's that his ingredient. And... Yeah, Tokyo Dome match that the great Muta against Chono, the title change, that was good too. NWA title change. And, and uh, um, he, he had a lot of good Chono match, cause, but you have to be somewhat educated and also you have to, you have to be type of fan that enjoy that kind of match. If you really love spectacular moves and the big high spot, Chono might not be it. You know? But yeah. on one hand, though, there are a couple of those Chono matches where it's a different uh, template. He's not he's not doing the full full length storytelling match. He's going for it. Like I think of the match he had, at, I think it was at Tokyo Dome with Vader, where it was really uh, short, oh, but it was oh, really like uh, <laughs> he he really it was more of a, an emotion match. It was more seeing we got to see Chono's guts. Against yeah, yeah, because like just like Hashimoto situation, in casual fans' eyes, Vader is gonna kick his ass, mm. right? I mean, obviously, bigger, you know, fatter, a little bit, but you know, like a big Inoki, you know. Yeah, and he's the greatest big man wrestler, you know, so big, 
not quite ultimate, you know, ultimate warrior bodybuilder body, but the thick, athletic, big football player type that hit you. Yeah, yeah then hit you real hard, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, Chono took it. And uh, that was his, uh, yeah, that was interesting. So he could really adapt in those kind of moments. In those. Well, he's a New Japan Dojo, you know, wrestler after all. Mm. You know, it's just that decided not to do fancy moves all that much. He's not high spot oriented. He's more of a storytelling match guy, and uh, all the athletic move, you know, that uh, would let Muto do it. And uh, yeah, and the Chono was more of a, a strategic wrestler, I guess. Yeah, I should say. How about uh, Chono's time? earlier when he was in germany he, he did train in germany for a bit or, or wrestling yeah germany. yeah and then uh, also he he enjoyed that's where he met his wife and uh he really enjoyed the european aspect of you know like uh, working in the same building for 30 days in a row and uh you know working in in uh, like a circus tent mm -hmm. and uh living in a trailer home and uh yeah that's uh it was very interesting yeah they all did that, and uh, yeah, like uh, Chris Benoit was with him in the tour. They worked Europe, and uh, yeah, it's there is no such thing as European this tour thing. I mean, after Aro Vance pretty much retired, you know, mm. in Germany you have a lot of you know domestic wrestling companies, but they don't run wrestling like old-fashioned European style. It's more like a German wrestler doing American wrestling now. Hmm, like independent, uh, basic. Uh, it's based on yeah. what's going on now. It's it's also pretty much yeah in German language and in the British wrestler come in and it's not really British style like you would think like a Tony Saint Clair or Johnny Saint or Billy Robinson old style. Just in, in up to seventies and eighties, maybe even into early nineties, it European wrestler looks like European wrestler. They works like European guy. Like yeah. a lot of a lot of wrestlers works like William Regal, you know what I'm saying? Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, that kind. They didn't that look is... like bodybuilders. They didn't look like uh, particularly like like a WWF wrestler, like a big uh, mega they superstar. They just over really the wrestle like you're a magician, you know? Yeah, but they looked like an everyday, you know, blue collar kind of guy. Yeah, and then the regular guy hairdo. <laughs> sure, yeah, and the mustache, yeah. if like like rollerball yeah, Rocco. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, short trunks and wrestling boots. Yeah, uh, basic. Not not too uh, unlike the young lions. It's the the mentality. I mean, yeah, it's keeping but it basic. It's, uh, who resembles most is maybe like a guy like Finn Balor. He's he's about it. Yeah. Kinda, but he's also um, WWE wrestler for sure. And, and New Japan wrestler. I never saw any of the the wrestlers from England or or Europe around that time as in shape as he was. Uh, Their bodies are completely, you know. I, I think back then it was more of a or a uh, natural, natural body, natural organic yeah. diet. Yeah, what? Yeah, because well, Aro Vance was like he's a big like, guy, yeah. like a sumo sumo wrestler shape, you know. Mm. Yeah, and also back then, up to early nineties, you know, European wrestlers didn't travel to America. Right, it was just limited to those circuits that they were. Yeah, on. yeah, in that world, so. But that, that made it really unique, you know? Yeah. So different music. Different Ch music. Chono picked up uh, some, maybe some oh, essence or nuance definitely. from oh, there. Yeah. And like you Working. said, he met his uh, wife. 
How do you meet his oh, wife there? Over there, in, in when when they were living in in Germany, and she was coming to the shows. I don't know the details, uh. but uh, that the same time that uh, Chris Benoit met his first wife too. Hmm. Yeah, and uh, it was really different because in the same building, thirty days in a row, you are running wrestling like a sumo tournament. You know, every night at the same building. Can you imagine? It's uh, different. The tournament going, yeah, yeah. It's it's different. It has a different effect. It's it's not like a WrestleMania feeling. It's not like one big event happening all at once. It's uh, oh, it's like uh, going sumo sumo wrestling tournament for fifteen days. You know? Yeah, or Olympic, watching the Olympics or something. It's it's but different different matchup every night though. Yeah, and the turn the tournament going. You know, a long tournament. Yeah, and the the title match and the important matches are like round rules. You know. Five minute round, one round and ten ten rounds, or you know, seven minute one round for eight round match or something like that. And yeah, in wrestling, round rules is like only in Europe. Very different. The, we did we did have that in Japan a little bit though. With uh, we mean with the WF <laughs> companies and then no 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 Ricky Dozan era. Oh, in the original JWA. Yeah, yeah, and now uh, every spring. There was a tournament called World League uh, tournament. You know, they uh, that the official tournament match was like your eight minute one round, five round match or something. American wrestlers did that too. And I've but seen some of it recently on the NXT UK show, but again, like you said, it's a lot different. Very different. Huh? Very different. Very different. Huh? Well, Walter from NXT UK. He's built like European guy. Very much so. He's a throwback in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah. And all he does is big chop. Yeah. yeah. He, he's yeah. also he doesn't do all that much, uh, like Chono we were talking about in terms yeah, of yeah. By uh, not doing much, he does a lot. Hmm. So it's, it's it's hard to explain in word. You have to feel it, or even wrestlers don't get it. You know, and uh, see WWE wrestlers. You know when they have when somebody's like. See Randy Orton or Edge or somebody is working in the ring, right? All the young guys are watching that match and studying it, you know. And uh, it's it's just these, you know, rhythm and the storytelling thing just cannot be taught, you know. Mm. Either you do it, succeed, or don't know how to do it, <laughs> you know. Yeah, it might have to do with the audiences too. There are different expectations these right, days, right? Right. And uh, about Chono, Chono, I think he had a like Muto also had a good idea of just being on TV, uh, not just thinking about wrestling in the ring, but wrestling for television. Yeah, of course, of mm. course. And then Muto's presence, Chono's presence, Hashimoto's presence. There are the three, you know, three musketeers, but they're all different. Very different. Very That's different. That's why they were, yeah, all three of them. That's why they're successful. They never really worked as unit or trio. Like six man tag teams, you know, they maybe only they only had a handful of six man tag teams together, but they were categorized as three musketeer, you know, always new generation, and uh, that the trio superstar. Any oh, any of these Muto Chono Hashimoto, any of these one one of these superstar can main event tonight. Mm. And they really they seem to need it around then because all Japan was also pretty competitive and, and pulling in a lot of people to their shows with their core of four people. Uh, that was the last that the when when 
when Three Musketeers was becoming a superstar in the main event of New Japan, it was still Jumbo defending company, though. Even in, so, the Jumbo how, early nineties, yeah. yeah, yeah, Jumbo wouldn't leave. You know, I mean, well, he had hepatitis and also went back to you know college to get his master and all these things, but he wouldn't leave until like 92, 93. So 88, 89, 90, 91, 92, Jumbo was standing like a big wall in front of Misawa and all these people. Yeah, still. And also Tenru was still around. Tenru mm. had to be, be, you know, Jumbo to be the real main event, you know? So then how about by around, you know, 1993, this is when uh, Tokyo, the, they had a big, big Tokyo Dome that show that year. And this yeah. was also when Muto then was three back. Musketeer plus two is Hashimoto. Uh, see, Muto and Hashimoto and Chono, three Musketeer superstars, right? Mm-hmm. And Chono um, and uh, Riki Choshu and Tatsumi Fujinami still around. But there was two guns that the Riki Choshu's top guys, Kensuke Sasaki and Hiroshi Hase, merged into the main event cluster. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. Remember? Right. Yeah. That, so it's of... like a five big guns now. Yeah. But they're not the Musketeers. They and they no. both, both the, those two had a knows, different path. Everybody as well. knows that's Choshu boy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was Choshu's. Uh, you know, he's the outsider. He was the outsider when he was in all Japan as well. He would just come. He would come in and he would kind of yeah, yeah. flip His things faction. on there. Yeah, it was. It was about what he wanted to do. Yeah, and Ken Sasaki and Hiroshi Hase. Yeah, this is like a new top two guns and. Uh, and Kensuke Sasaki always worked like young Choshu. He looked like a like he was meant to be the junior version of him, but he ended up being like <laughs> yeah, physically yeah. a lot bigger. They had the same yeah, haircut clothes, for a long clothes, time too. Yeah, clothesline and all that. Yeah. Then in 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 ninety three, ninety four, ninety five, ninety six, Kensuke becomes Power Warrior to team up with Hawk Warrior for the Hellraisers. See, for some people, and like, like people who watched Dark Side of Wrestling documentary or these things, they didn't really emphasize how big Hellraisers was. Mm. Remember? You know, they did the documentary on Road Warriors and Road Warrior Hawk and, and Animal talking about things from his perspective. And the Hellraisers was like, you know, treated like uh, the Hawk went to Japan and cut his own deal. Then uh, they, they they stole the gimmick kind of thing. If you look at it from America, yes, that maybe that's how it looks like. But in Japan, Hawk Warrior came to Japan and signed the you know the exclusive contract with New Japan and take up on Kensuke Sasaki to be his full time partner, American superstar and Japanese superstar, actually making the tag team for the first time in full time basis and become this version of road warriors they didn't call it road warriors because hawk didn't want it because road warriors means hawk and animal you know but uh, uh so they came up with name hellraisers but th- that's another subject for another day but hellraisers hawk and power warrior against Sasaki was really really a big hit in mid 90s so i have to defend that huge yeah. deal for sasaki's career too Oh, God, yes. Yeah, that will put him in, into Maven Cluster. And also, they developed their own opponent, too. You know, if you remember, Scott Norton and Hercules Hernandez. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, Kensuke Sasaki and Hiroshi Hase had a program against people like Steiner Brothers. Great match, you know. And uh, they brought in people like Sting, the, you know, the, the WCW package. The, they were all good. And Hiroshi Hase, Kensuke Sasaki were developing into main event cluster. By then, actually, Hiroshi Hase was already assistant booker in the company, and right underneath uh, Ricky Joshi. Hmm. You know, so he sacrificed himself, <laughs> you know, the real smart worker. Where was, uh, where did Hajimoto's career start to kind of twist from this end, from the mid nineties? Cause it kind of, I think in a different it way. was not until that, uh, Naoya Ogawa. Yeah. That was the big turning point for him. That was a huge, I think so. For all of so. pro wrestling, I think in, in Japan, that was. Yeah. Big... Cause like I said, that, uh, Naoya Ogawa is the type of wrestler that who wouldn't start from first match. He wouldn't be Young Lion. He wouldn't live in Dojo. He is like your athlete mm, superstar. Oh, card angle or what's the Stevenson that who signed? Just signed. Oh, Gable Stevenson. Yeah, he was signed, right? He is not gonna be your first match guy. Mm-mm. When he debuted from the day one, he will be like treated as a star. She, yeah, Naoya Ogawa is the same way. The gold medal guy that in judo and an Olympic star and all that turned into professional wrestler with tight you know, boots. That you will be treated in main event. Yeah. So that's where I think the the pivot point in in Hashimoto's career happened. With it, I guess that lasted yeah, almost then, two years. It seemed like. Yeah, and then also Antonio Inoki himself, you know took side with Naoya Ogawa, you know? Yeah, New Japan really started to, to, to change from there. And this is kind yeah, of where we saw that. Yeah, Where, where would you say thinking, that right? three musketeers, where would you say this kind of, I mean, Ogawa, the, the Naoya Ogawa bit, um, and Muto and Wab Chono Muto, were also... Yeah, Wab, yeah Wab Muto, I don't think there was Ogawa against Chono match ever. Do you remember? Was against it? Chono? No, I don't think so. I, I think around this Ch- time, both Chono and Mucho were in the States more often. That too. But there was a very significant, very important match. that the, It was probably Ogawa's second match, uh, professional second match, but it was already a main event. That Keiji Muto you know, had a single match against Naoya Ogawa, but he chose to have great Muta character for that match. Instead of Keiji Muto, the wrestler. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. Then she did what Great Muta would do and played with it. The mist of your, you know, from your mouth, or stealing judo belt from the the, the Ogawa's do, judo jacket. They put the judo belt around his neck and play with him, and all these. Only, re- you know, happens in wrestling kind of rule-breaking thing. And he really played with it. Very smart way. You know what I'm saying? Mm, and, and it was pretty different from how Hashimoto approached those kind of matches. Oh, Hashimoto would end up playing Ogawa's game. So honest, you know? Yeah. Muto wouldn't go in there and get beat, you know, by his judo. He would be great Muta and, and do what great Muta would do. And green mist in the, from your mouth. Ogawa is the one who has, has to stand there and take it. Mm. Very smart. Yeah, and it seems like I suppose Hashimoto really didn't have a choice, you know. 
Right, right. He had to prove. Oh, perfect, like perfect victim, huh? It seems like it. it seemed like he's yeah, exa- yeah, yeah, absolutely. But, uh, what we cannot forget about this is uh, even in wrestling, the match result matters. You know, you lose to a certain guy, and people will remember and associate him with all that. But he lost to this guy, right? And you always, you. I. Yeah, that's who, what I remember. Who beat, yeah, who who beat who? Yeah. It just yeah, looks- everybody think it's entertainment and it's like uh, smarter fans or internet fans and all these things like uh, no other people talk about wrestling. But at the end of the day, the result of the match outcome still matters. Agree? I think so. Oh, definitely. Yeah. It has an yeah, effect like, on people's be, yeah, psyche. And, and the wrestlers career too. You lost to certain guys, you know? Yeah. Especially at that time, especially at that time where it was reality and, and wins and losses mm-hmm, meant mm-hmm. even more than they probably do today. There was be- so he was like, a, you know, Naoya Ogawa, rookie, but has to be in the main event ring. It came in like a big alien, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But believable because of his background. Oh, of course. And big guy, too. And there was no MMA really. I mean, there was, but it wasn't like like now like it's a regular thing it wasn't something in pro wrestling people saw regularly but first few matches he was wearing judo gi mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know and so he's like olympic gold medal guy being in the wrestling ring that's already interesting you know and b- people don't expect to have your hip toss or your body you know body slam or drop kick or anything like that he would be in there fighting professional wrestler you know mm. and uh that's like really pretty much reality, you know, oriented. He wouldn't be doing wrestling moves like wrestlers do, but he is a tough guy and he might beat Muto. You know, that's how they think. And uh, Keiji Muto doing great Muto thing was so smart. Whereas Hashimoto went in there and got kind of victimized, huh? And things were a lot different. I mean, he was definitely connected to Ogawa more so than Chono and Muto after yeah, this. Yeah. But what's interesting is though, after this, you know, that the uh, fiasco, I should say, Ogawa and Hashimoto became friends. I mean, in real life. Right. And they even would do. They, they went into Zero One and Hustle together. It ties like a tag team. Yeah. It's not <clears throat> interesting. If something happens, I mean, something like a shoot situation happens. And they sat down and thought about it. And then it's like, it's like a, who was responsible behind it? It was all Antonio Inoki calling it, right? Mm. Probably. And uh, then, then Hashimoto ended up leaving and, 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 and he made his own Zero One company. And uh, Ogawa pretty much started working for Zero One company. And uh, the, the Zero One roster started working for Hustle. And Ogawa ended up wearing this <laughs> professional wrestling costume and he just became pro wrestler in heart. Hmm. It was a very interesting twist, you know. So what was the main what were the main reasons for Hashimoto leaving New Japan and, and starting Zero One? It was the I think the confrontation between wrestler Hashimoto and Buka Choshu. And was that did that have anything to do with the, with the Ogawa program, or was it separate from that? Or, um, uh, probably though, Booker Choshu, the sole Booker in the dressing room, giving people finish, right? Mm-hmm. 
he could not control Inoki Ogawa combination as he, he should be. Mm. See, Inoki comes into dressing room. Who's the boss? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right, I see. That's really hard. But every day, day-to-day wrestling business, Ricky Chosu is a booker. He's the boss. He's the locker room reader. He's giving everybody finish. Inoki does not travel with wrestlers, but he shows up at some important night. He comes into dressing room. It's very confusing. Who is the boss? Inoki's similar the- like a Vince McMahon type character behind the scenes. <laughs> and Vince McMahon and Hulk Hogan in one. In one, yeah. Yeah, in one. Only him. Only he could do that. Only him. And also, if he wanted to, he probably wanted to work in the ring, <laughs> you know? He did eventually. Yeah. Uh, he didn't. After 98 retirement match, he was the only one who never made comeback. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. I, I was... Yeah. Inoki's the only one who never oh, Inoki, made comeback. Yeah. yeah. Most people do come back, though. Because how many times Ricky Choshi retired? You know? Quite a few. And, and uh, yeah. And then, uh, like, oh, like people are like, different, but Onita retired 10 times mm, making comeback. Terry Funk. Of course. Yeah. So, oh, the Roddy Piper, for that matter, Randy Savage, you know. So retire is like a, the word retiring is used so meaningless loosely. now. Yeah. Yeah. Or retire meaning like uh, go to bed for the night, you know? <laughs> yeah. Retire for the night. Yeah. Mm. But uh, re- yeah, for uh, Antoninoki's value orientation, once he retired, he did not come, make comeback. He never took his shirt off. But instead, he kept showing up in, in, in the building. And being influential, though, remember he eventually went to went on and become exclusive figurehead, exclusive producer for Pride, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, he went and did uh, his own special Bombaye show. Inoki Bombaye show. So his interest over this millennium time, he was not into traditional pro wrestling. Instead, he sensed it. What's in is MMA now. Yeah, and that's when K one was massive. That's when Pride oh, took Pride over. and Bom- Bomayen and every New Year's Eve, ne- three different network channel was running all three different program of all same looking MMA show on channel four, channel six, channel eight. Remember that time? It was the big. It was huge, huge, <laughs> huge, uh, and it really it seemed to affect. Well, it did affect the pro wrestling business. Oh God, yeah, for about six, eight, seven year period. If not more, I mean... Yeah, therefore, dark age of professional wrestling. Yeah, it was, it was the rise of MMA because this was the only time that there was a, a, a counter to, you know, UFC. Because right, right. Pride and UFC were pretty equal equal footing at the time. If maybe Pride was a little bit bigger at the, these times, too. That's how big Pride was. I mean, they were running yeah, the Tokyo Dome, yeah. too. And also, American fighter, Russian fighter, European fighter... Brazilian fighters and some Japanese fighters it's like a very international oriented MMA, you know, mm-hmm. and, and some professional wrestlers too. Very big production people like Bob too. Sapp. Yes, yes, like a you pro know, wrestling like a very, the product of the time, a product of the time. Yeah, it did have a WWE type uh, huge production feel. There was a, there was a huge production. Oh, the uh, yeah, flashes ramp. Mm-hmm. Ramp and laser beams and music and the dome type of show. Yeah, over the 50, top. 50,000 50, people, the mega production. Yeah. Yeah, that was like, uh, I, at the time, I don't 
you know, remember so fondly. It was a I'm different a, time, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, so um, maybe that uh, we covered a lot of ground today. Yeah, I think that's a good general uh, way of thinking about the Three Musketeers because after after the Ogawa Hashimoto pivot, that's also when you know Muto would go on to all Japan. Chono would stick uh, around. He spent he spent one year in America. Muto, right, right, with WCW. Yeah, Muto in the two, year two thousand ninety nine into two thousand. He's you know he was in WCW full time. He had an apartment in in, in America, and then and, and he was just testing water. He should I should I come back to New Japan? Still technically under New Japan contract, but he wouldn't work Japan anymore. He didn't like what he was seeing. I ain't going, you know. And then he he spent a whole year in dying days of WCW. Mm-hmm. Yeah. By then, Hashimoto was already gone from New Japan, and he had you know? zero one. He had his own company. zero one started. Yeah, and two years later. Booker, then Booker Choshu ended up leaving New Japan and they then formed another kind of ill-fated short-lived wrestling company called Double J, World Japan Pro Wrestling, remember? Mm-hmm, with Sasaki. Only, yeah, and then Masa Saito and Tenru joining and then Hiroshi Hase worked a little bit and uh, it only lasted about a year, yeah. It, it was big for a few months and it really fizzled out. Yeah, but it was like the big bang crush that new japan was destroyed and divided into five different groups or something mm. and chono stayed yeah. with the main uh, new japan proper. yeah yeah right and became senior producer pretty much and he he wrestled and, less and less around this time yeah and then also became tv commentator at the world pro wrestling tv SS show mm-hmm. and is still doing that even uh, this year uh, yeah guest commentator sometimes yes uh not so, just new japan too uh noah and other yeah other things yeah because he's famous he's yeah, like he can do what he wants yeah I, pretty much like your randy savage roddy piper or somewhat john cena type celebrity Hmm. I always, when I lived in Tokyo, I always saw him in the, the advertisement for, you know, local ramen shop or uh, even yeah. McDonald's a couple of years ago. He did like a mixed shrimp yeah. commercial. He did some kind of mixed shrimp commercial and or the, campaign. Uh, the convenience store, like a family mart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he had a lot of commercial. And also he has his own uh, line of clothing. Mm-hmm. Aristo Toristo. <laughs> and he yeah. he um but uh, there's one other thing well his, his uh it's not his daughter but uh alpha female they uh, oh yeah 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 kind yeah, of his yeah. like uh she's also a pro wrestler too german pro wrestler and that's yeah kind of well, like he a, was in a great may young tournament too that's right the first one yeah and he still she still wrestles in in germany too um jono's wife uh matilda san uh, martina san and that the alpha female are like a daughter, like a mother-daughter type relationship. I mean, German person coming to Japan and live, it's like, well, it's come over and stay with us kind of thing. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. And Chono is a different type of businessman. I mean, he is being Masa Chono, even to this day. He hasn't had a wrestling match in, what, three or four years, five years mm-hmm. maybe, but he is not officially retired. Yeah, he and he's always in the media somewhere. He's on those, uh, yeah, you know, quiz the show, quiz show or the show. variety comedy shows, yeah, the late night show or like a quiz show. He's answering quiz panel shows. Yeah, even the com- late night comedian shows. Yeah, 
somebody yeah. like uh, like the Miz or Cody Rhodes who do a lot of non wrestling appearances, lots and lots of media. He's yeah. one of those. Uh, Chono seemed like he's always been. Uh, yeah, because he's famous. Yeah, but yeah, I think his Gargoyle. personality is one of those things right, compared right. with the other three Musketeers. He yeah, has. He looks like a rock star, and he looks like a movie star, you know, and he has this certain look. Mm. Yeah, and whereas Muto is just keep being a wrestling legend, you know. Yeah, his story is uh, still still unfolding. Yeah. And uh, yeah, well, maybe for him, it's the best time is yet to, yet to come. And he's the highest paid professional wrestler in Japan. I even, mean, even still. Today. Wow. Yeah, even still. He only wrestles, what, 10 matches a year? If he's that, highest yeah. Paid, yeah. Highest paid professional wrestler. And for emotional Hashimoto, he passed away at the age of 40. Very suddenly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was also the that uh, product of that uh, of uh wrestling stock age yes very yeah. much so that was really uh i don't know that felt mm, i just th- yeah it was just different it was just the, the 90s were over that's what it felt like it felt like that yeah yeah right right that great you yeah, know was, popularity died, period. Like a, a newspaper and sports page you know announced his for you know the like, uh, shinya hashimoto 40 year is he a 40 already kind of thing that's mm. like a, he was like young forever, you know? Mm. Yeah, mm. but uh, he, people still talk about Shinya Hashimoto's best matches, even to this date, though, you know? Because those days, you know, Hashimoto, Chono, Muto was on the wrestling was still in primetime program. They always had networks, you know, 90 minutes special on, you know, like, uh, like eight o'clock at night, nine o'clock. This, she had very good television spot, you know? Mm. And uh, yeah, people grew up watching Hashimoto, Chono, and Muto. And uh, there's three distinguished superstar of 90s time. And uh, yeah, so Hashimoto um, passed away when he was 90, so he didn't grow old. You mean when he was 40? No, no, in his people's mind. He never. He passed away so young that uh, he never changed. Kind of mm. like Bruce Lee. Ah, uh, he stayed the way he we remember. Yeah, him. yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> um, That's yeah. That and uh, well, I would say James Dean or somebody. You know, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah, but so um, Hashimoto. When you think about Hashimoto, you have the certain visual image in your head. Yeah. Always, my, the image I have of him in my head is him screaming. He's always doing some kind of martial arts kia, some kind of kia, yeah, kia, yeah, yeah, kia, yeah. like uh, letting out all of his uh, fighting spirit. It's yeah, always the, the white, m- long white headband. Mm. Yeah, like a kamikaze fighter, you go in there and you might die, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And he, it's like he died in the ring almost, you know. Yeah, he was definitely the kind of like a sacrifice or a casualty of that that whole time, that dark age, as we as we said. Yeah, yeah, he um, what was like symbolic was like a, like a, he really was saying that when he was like uh, like becoming main event, um, you know, coming back from Fort, you know, like Europe, and uh, you know that he was just becoming a main event status, uh. In, in his interview, he really said it. That's like, like my goosebump that 
Hashimoto told the press, I'm not going to have long life. I'm just going to do and go do this. Mm. It's like, he really did not have long life. What's so scary? It was like, he knew his fate or something. Really. It's sad. Yeah, yeah. And but it's... maybe sad, but very fulfilling career too. I mean, he is, he's the guy, at least for me, that I associate when I think of the IWGP crown style belt. That's the Hashimoto ah, belt. Yeah, yeah, Hashimoto belt. That's, yeah, second belt. Yeah. You know, we, we have the image of John Cena with his belt and Steve Austin. Spinning with his, belt. Yeah, yeah, I think the, the crown style IWGP heavyweight title. Second is, belt. Second belt, mm -hmm. right? Oh, that's that, Hashimoto belt. Huh? That's definitely the Hashimoto belt to me. Yeah. To me, yeah, it's not like yeah, it's not like other other wrestlers had it like Scott Norton or Chono, well, like Keiji Muto. You know how many times he won the title, but other people had it. But that second version design is Hashimoto, huh? To yeah, I think maybe and to a lot of other fans, yeah. especially for me, it was uh, black and red stripe um, karate pants. Of course, those two, yeah, the the pants yeah. and the very very taped, uh, not just his hand but his wrist. Oh, his, taped fist, yeah. yeah oh, so God. he could throw the uh, karate chops. Karate chops, yeah, yeah. like Ricky Dalton chops. Mm -hmm. And he was simple Finnish guy too. That uh, you know that that the tombstone looking brainbuster suplex, yeah, falling yeah. brainbuster. Yeah, that's all the one finish. I mean, people don't kick out of that, you know. And uh, it was very like a old fashioned in that way. And his son has been wrestling for a while now. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He has to, yeah, he's still, um, people have to, you know, think about the Daichi uh, Hashimoto, not to think of, that's impossible not to think of him as a, you know, Shinya Hashimoto's son. But uh, to become his own person, he really needs to do more now, you know. He's been doing that over 10 years, so it's like he has his own career going. But not quite into his father's realm, you know, of course not. And uh, yeah, that's really like you have to look at his son as completely separate from his father, really. I've seen him quite a bit at Big Japan often. Big Japan, yeah. And the fans, yeah. all, they love to give him a hard time. Of it's course. A, I mean, it's like that he's got to fight that uh, the stigma of, of, oh, of course, of the name. And, and, of, and then coming out with same music, you know, might work against him, really, mm. you know, and a lot of things. Yeah. But let's give him credit, you know. He's still Tonight. there. He's still there. Yeah, he's still there and relatively young. I think he's and doing something with that Glate uh, company soon. One of yeah, the, the yeah. UWF oh, things. yeah. They just, had, they just had a big press conference for this tournament coming up in October uh, 10th or something. Mm. Yeah. But yeah. I hope that uh, with this, our episode of Three Musketeers, Keiji Muto and Masachono and Shinya Hashimoto, uh, who, who, the people who has access to New Japan World, it's worth going back to the archive and watch important single match from 90s. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Maybe. Uh, We've been talking about this, you know, Three Musketeers, Muto, Muto, Hashimoto, Chono for like a, like they're from like the matches from yesterday but these matches are all 20 to 25 years old you know hmm. um and it's it's good timing we're talking about this now because g1 is coming up and uh masahiro chono now was... it's october thing huh 
Well, I guess it's now it's an October the pandemic. Thing. Yeah. And then also because of the summer Olympic games and, uh, you know, the Paralympic that you would, that the wrestling, you know, wouldn't interfere with the Olympic thing. And, uh, and pandemic too, from you know, since last year. So they moved summer tradition, G1 climax into October tradition. now. Kind of condensed yeah. style, but we'll see. Two Two nights, Budokan consecutive nights, yeah. And also now that they have already announced January 4th and 5th, two nights at the Tokyo Dome, and January 8th at the Yokohama Arena, another huge arena. Mm, that's a lot. Yeah, yeah. Social distance, too. Wow. Yeah. So, you know what I'm saying? Because pandemic ain't over. And but, in uh, Japan, it's probably worse than it's been since the beginning, right? As far as numbers yeah. go. Yeah. And the uh, new variant. You know? mm-hmm. I don't think the Olympics helped. Oh, God, no. God, no. It's, but it was more political issue than uh, the medical and health issue. And everybody knows about it. And the big election coming up. So, yeah. We're well, in the middle of it. We're in the middle of it. Good we're luck. Ha- we're, ha- we're lucky people. We can still sit here and talk about wrestling. How's that? That's good. I like the way that I think about that, too. <laughs> so, yeah. So let's wrap it up today. But I think that's a good, uh, you know, primer on the Three Musketeers. And of yeah. course, we we have our the whole series on Keiji Muto that we did earlier this year. If you want to go on YouTube, you can check that out. Or on yeah, the and then, then then we'll go into uh, uh, Old Japan Shtenno, that uh, yes. big four. We will Misawa, Kawada, Kobashi, and Taue. Yeah, mm. well, there is yeah. a, a lot more details than you think. I think we'll um, we'll, we'll yeah. talk about it next time. We'll fill you in. Definitely. Okay, so how can people reach you online? Uh, on Twitter, Fumihiko Dayo, F-U-M-I-H-I-K-O-D-A-Y-O, Fumihiko Dayo on Twitter, or just Fumisaito on Facebook. Please message me first. I'll friend you. All right, and I'm at Justin M. Nipper, K-N-I-P-P-E-R on Twitter. That's all for today. So, Fumi, can you take it away? So long from Tokyo. Tokyo.